Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp, Fightful.com. Here with a name. You know, we've interviewed him before on Fightful. Yeah, you have. we got Eric Bischoff. Now, I, I like to kick off my in-persons with a reader question from somebody you absolutely don't know. This one is from a Conrad T. from Huntsville <laughs> who asks what your current relationship with liver sausage is. I love liver sausage. It's a childhood favorite, man. I, I feel like I've heard you mention that on your show. I have. I, I, I talked about um, how growing up as a kid uh, in Detroit, liver sausage was kind of a staple food item. And it's a comfort food. It's like, you know, when you grow up with macaroni and cheese yeah. or, you know, frozen pizza when you're a kid as a special treat. Um, I look back at it fondly, and every once in a while, I, 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 I dig me some liver sausage sandwich. See, I was hoping Conrad would give me something that would, like, fire you up. No, that just makes me hungry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think Conrad knows me well enough to know that I, I don't do, like, the gotcha interviews. So I don't want to be, like, I don't want to get Eric too fired up, you know. We're here. It's kind of hard to do. I didn't get to bed till about 4 o'clock this morning. Yeah, so you... I'm just uh, I'm just barely rolling here. So I do listen to your show, and I know that you're usually early to rise. You We're, we're here in Jacksonville. He was booked for AEW. How was that adjustment when you get booked for something like this and you're, you're up all night? I assume you're partying. <laughs> I wouldn't call it partying, but, you know, the show didn't go on until 10 o'clock at night. And mm-hmm. my segment was the last segment, so we didn't wrap up until midnight. And by the time you get back to the hotel and everybody gets together and, you know, and you're still kind of riding that adrenaline high from the show. And, you know, you want to hang out and, and visit with some folks because at the show, everybody's busy. Everybody's yeah. got something going on backstage. You can't really visit. Uh, so we did a, we did a little bit of that last night, mixing with a little bit of wine and uh, a good time. That is a good time. So you've had, I think, three or four AEW appearances. This now? is my fourth appearance. Who who was in control of like sort of contacting you, making this all work? Um, you know, it, it's varied. Uh, each one was a little bit different. Uh, I think it was the first time it was Tony Khan himself, uh, Chris Harrington, who works. Ah. 
works with Tony. He used to write for us. Yeah. Chris uh, reached out to me once or twice. Uh, Cody Rhodes has reached out. Chris Jericho has reached out. So and they're all working together. So, you know, I think it's just who has five minutes to call Eric and see if he's available kind of thing. What kind of conversations have you had with Tony Khan? Because you all have been obviously in similar roles in the past, especially working with Turner Networks and stuff like that. What kind of conversations have you all had separate of, hey, can you come in and do this? You know, we really haven't spent a lot of time, you know, uh, socially. Uh, a little bit last night, mm-hmm. you know. But, again, people don't realize, you know, and we, you and I were talking about this before the interview. When you're backstage, especially for a live television yeah. show, I mean, it's hectic. Everybody's got work to do. There's, you know, a million things that have to get uh, attended to, and there's always issues and concerns and creative challenges and things like that. So, it's very hectic backstage. So when I, when I show up, you know, whether it's WWE or AEW, um, I just go find a corner. I figure out what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it, and I just leave everybody alone. So I don't socialize much. And you're, you're starting to see, well, I mean, they've been around for a little while, but Tony Schiavone, Sting, Paul sure. White, people that you had worked with in WCW, and of course there are people that you came to know in WWE, I'm sure across both of your runs there. Uh, has that made that a little bit easier? You're like you're seeing familiar faces and stuff like this. This isn't like a completely new environment or anything. Oh no, no, it's got a real um, a, a strong sense of familiarity. You know, yeah. not only because of the people, obviously, you know, with Tony and Jim Ross and Sting and, and many others. Yeah, you know, Keith Mitchell, uh, who I've worked with for many, many, many years. You know, WCW and TNA. So there's so many familiar faces. You know, some names that people would recognize, many that people wouldn't on the production side of things. So it's very, very familiar. But just the general vibe, you know. You know, wrestling is still wrestling. You know, uh, the adrenaline, the excitement, the anxiety, all of the above. It's it's all very familiar. Oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, no. My brother. My brother. It's Eric, man. You, you want to go Eric. ahead and unhook the mic again? No, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you do. Oh, boy. You just on out since you're incompetent. Oh, and I'll handle the rest here. <laughs> what are you doing in Jack's, baby? What's going oh, on? Oh, man, I heard this AEW thing going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. It. Besides, I knew you were going to be here. And well. I just, you know how I love your work. Well. Who fucking doesn't, Eric? Let's be honest here for a second. No, so so I, I just want to ask you a question because somebody sure. told me something. I was a little too busy with uh, Dean Malenko. You remember Dean Malenko? Sure. Kind of like wildly uncharismatic, like very <laughs> short. Uh, for some reason, you, whatever. It, it's fine. It's fine. Um, were you kind of being a little friendly and chit chatty with Chris? Last night, or is that just a rumor? No, that's a rumor, man. Don't believe you, you, you've been around the business a yeah. long time now. You've yeah. got your stripes. You know not yeah. to listen to rumors. All right, thank God, because Eric, if that were true, be disappointing, wouldn't it? I wouldn't just be disappointed. What? <sighs> and I don't want to no, do that. Man, I don't want to do oh, that, Eric. Yeah, you can't I would, get the shit out no, of me. No, Eric, and I wouldn't want to do that. Elderly, Dude. I've got an AARP card now, in my now, wallet. How Eric, does that make you feel? Don't talk. To you. Don't talk about yourself like that. You're a goddamn legend. So so here's the real question I have to ask. Right. You've seen the best of the best in this industry. So here's what I want to know. Have you ever seen someone at the tender age of 25 be this damn good? No. There you have it, that. folks. You can go back to your shitty little interviewer, uh, Shane Race Snap. <laughs>
that was MJF. He unhooked my microphone one time mid-interview, and I only got the uh, got the camera mic. So audio has been a challenge for me. Oh, more than one yeah. Occasion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we had an honest-to-God Ralphus Chris Jericho situation at the MGM two years ago. We were going to film on the floor of the MGM. Well, you can't do that. There's gambling going on there, obviously. So he's like, oh, we'll go up to my hotel room. 35 minutes later, we make it up there. And I'm toting all this stuff, which is heavier even two years ago, obviously, because of the advent of technology. And he's got me walking up and down every wing of the MGM, which I didn't realize was that big until <laughs> until I did it. And we stop along one of the, the many restaurants. And he's like, hey, hold on. Hold on a second. And he sees somebody in an AEW hat. And he waits until they notice him. And then when they notice him, he goes, fuck you. And then we, <laughs> then we leave. So, uh, yeah, this is a bit of a tradition now. Um, MJF, though, when you see him, how do you think a guy like that could have fit in? And any, any of the experiences that you would have had from the AWA to WCW to WWE in the 2000s, even more recently? Honestly, I think as we've just seen... He has an incredible gift. Unfortunately. You know, and I think in a wrestling industry, when you have that gift, when you can talk, when you can tell a story, when you can create that much heat uh, or passion, whatever you want to call it, um, you're going to be successful. He would have been successful in the 90s and the 70s and the 80s and 90s, whatever, because he has a real gift. He is a real student of the game, too. Like, he will constantly cite the 80s and 90s, like, or 70s even, like, stuff that he went back and watched that a lot of people of his age probably didn't know existed or anything like sure. that. And there are a lot of those lost arts, so to speak. But there have been, as we just mentioned, a lot of advances in technology. And one of my favorite things that I've heard you talk about on your show, 83 Weeks, is how you guys used to have to bring in helicopters and stuff. And now you can get a drone. And maybe have an even better shot. What other advances have maybe you seen that you worked on in the 90s and the 2000s that now it's so much simpler? For example, we're filming this on a 4K camera. I don't even know if 4K existed You're yet. filming this on a 4K camera that you could put in your glove compartment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, and that's, I think, one of the biggest improvements in technology is just the, not only the quality of the imagery, you know, but just the portability of the cameras, because cameras used to be something that you had to be a hefty person to be able to lug one of those things around yeah. all day, you know. And you battery packs and lighting packs and everything else, you know. It was like you were going into a going into battle, you know. But I think cameras and obviously the editing, you know, processes mm-hmm. have have advanced along the same lines. But for me, I think it's just cameras, man. Could you imagine Sting without his tan, but but in 4K? Ooh, that would have been bad. It would have been bad. I remember when they first started the HD, WDB was like, no more spray tans. No more spray tans. Hey, he's in Jacksonville now. He might win tomorrow night. He might have you know, that tan. the first thing that t- you know, Steve saw me yesterday when I was backstage. I was talking to somebody doing something, and he walked by. He said, hey, nice tan you ah, got there. You do have a good one. <laughs> to be fair, you do have a good one. But, I mean, he's in Jacksonville. He, he's got to be pay-per-view ready. And I'm sure this will obviously come out after the pay-per-view, but you worked a lot with Sting. And, and during the, the biggest part of his career, which is saying something, because he's had a lot of big parts of his career, when you look at him and he's had this time off, how are you feeling? Is there any like 
personal concern, like from a professional perspective? Oh no! Or are you just like this guy knows he's ready? He's oh ready. no no no! I'm I'm nothing. I, I'm so happy for him. You know. Uh, there he there, there he just goes. went. He just walked <laughs> there, by. There See he just soon. went. We're just talking about you, brother. We were, we were just talking <laughs> about the man they call Sting. No, no reason to burn. No, we were just talking about what a great career you've had. Have a seat. We, we, were, we were just talking about this guy. We were talking about your tan. I was like, he's in Jacksonville. He's pay-per-view ready. He's going to be good to go. Oh! No, mine's a real tan that comes in a can. It's not fake tan in a can. It's a real tan in a can. See, Sting dropping these tan scoops. This is this is what we came for. This is what we came for. And I, I was about to mention. I'm, I'm sure you're outdoors plenty in the Cody, Wyoming sun. Mm-hmm. That is categorically different than Detroit. At one point, at what point did you become like that? That's where I want to spend my time. That's where I want to spend my life. Um, 1977, June Ooh. of 1977. It was the first time I had ever been out west. Yeah. Growing up in Detroit uh, as a young kid, you know, in the 60s, you know, Bonanza and the Virginian and Gunsmoke, you know, <laughs> Rawhide, all those westerns were kind of a staple item in primetime television. And, you know, as a little kid, I just, you know, fantasized about someday going out west because you don't see any mountains in Detroit, yeah. you know. And it wasn't until I was about 22 years old, or, yeah, I was 22 years old, that I went out west for the very first time, and I, I got there and said, this is where I'm going to live. Someday, I don't know how, but someday I'm going to live here. And fast forward about uh, however many years later, I built a house, and there I am. Do you think the stark contrast is what drew you to that? Like it was something maybe you hadn't experienced before, and you were like, this is nice. I mean, I'm, I'm from Kentucky. When I hit the Midwest for the first time, I was like, land is flat? You can see past right up the street? Yeah. No, it was different for me because, again, you know, I I love to hunt and fish. You know, it was part of my childhood growing up. And the idea of being able to just get on a horse and throw a fly rod in the back and take a ride up a river and, you know, catch fish was like it was was a fantasy. And then to experience it as a young man, you know, 22 years old, it was like, okay, I've got to be here. It wasn't so much the stark contrast as much as it was – the idea of being able to spend so much time outdoors and enjoying it. Now you get to hang out with Kanye West all the time, right? I don't know, man. I think Kanye left town. I think since really? He, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't seen or heard of him. So you got to get that TMZ presence out there I, in Cody, I, Wyoming. Yeah, you got to keep it alive, right? <laughs> you're just gonna, you're going to see paparazzi just roaming around. No, we, the we, there's a big celebrity uh, <laughs> golf tournament, softball tournament coming up June 16th. So Hacksaw Jim Duggan's coming into town. Oh, that's and great. Ernest Miller and Sonny Ono and bunch of baseball players and football players and uh it should be pretty fun so we'll miss kanye yeah harrison ford's gonna be there oh wow yeah he's coaching one team i'm coaching another so i love it i, I love to it. go head to head with han solo speaking of music obviously your, your wwe theme pretty iconic did you ever meet the people who did like the lyrics to it the, no, the composition I, never did. I was always because obviously it's it's a bit of a play off of acdc and mm-hmm. all that but I always wondered about that because, for example, like Victoria, Nicki Minaj sang her song before years before she blew up, and I was always surprised there's there is a bit of a disconnect there because sometimes these are songs that have been made years and years before, right? Yeah, I I don't know what the process was with my song. I know when I first came out, when I was first introduced in WWE, they actually used ACDC's Back yes. in Black, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. 
they're just going to spend a couple bucks on that. <laughs> but it was a one-time only. Yeah. And then they came up with something that sounded similar. But I never met the people involved. Never How did. did they tell you that? Did they did they tell you ahead of time, hey, we're using ACDC? No, I didn't know anything, man. Wow. I didn't ask any questions. They didn't give me any information. I just showed up and it played. It was kind of cool. That is fantastic. I love that. Uh, and so when, when they switched it, did they say, well, we're going to switch it? Or did, was that another surprise when you came out? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Honestly, I didn't really notice it. Wow. You know, because for, for me, when I I get my head in a weird zone, you sure. know, I, I try to, and there's so much going on that I it's just noise. It's like static noise in the background. I don't really hear it the same way the people at home hear it or maybe even the people in the arena hear it. Um, so I didn't even really notice it until I got home and watched it on television. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a different song. Speaking of watching on television, I've said this multiple times. I learned more about North Korea from you and Scott Norton than I did from my public school system. Like I, I well, literally that's not surprising. I, I mean, it says a yeah. lot for the public school system. Yeah, they all suck. And by hey, the way. it says a lot about you and Scott Norton. His book full of you information. You call me professor. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, and the Dark Side of the Ring right. uh, released, and I had watched a couple documentaries or, or short video pieces that kind of primed me for it ahead of time, but. This is such a wild topic, North Korea, and it got me to learn more about North Korea. I watched other Vice documentaries about mm-hmm. it, and it is such a, a unique situation. Have you had any like any type of negative feedback regarding that? Because, for example, Seth Rogen, James Franco had a pretty wild North Korea-based movie a few years ago. They they had to take it out of theaters, put it I on streaming. That. Like, do you ever get anything like that, like anything abrasive or angry in regards no. to that? No. And, you know, it very rarely comes up unless it's in the context of a wrestling yeah. conversation. You know, the average person doesn't know that I went over there. But it's it was such a fascinating trip and experience, you know. And if you want to know what North Korea is like, we're getting a good look at it here in this country. Because... You know, what used to be news is now quickly becoming propaganda. Yeah. And, I mean, it's across the board. I'm not picking on any one outlet or any political party. It's all becoming so muddied and and politicized and weaponized that we're not getting news and information. We're getting propaganda. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that I, when I experienced in in North Korea is, and it's hard for us as Americans or, or anybody that's grown up in a relatively free society or free country to really understand how much impact propaganda can have on yes. people when those people you know i referred to the you know people when i went jogging through the streets of pyongyang north korea they had absolute terror in their eyes and i mean that there, and there's a difference between people you know you look at somebody and they're kind of uncomfortable with you or you can tell they just don't want to be around you that's one thing yeah. terror is something completely different and it's actually frightening to see and they were so terrified of my presence because of the propaganda that they had been taught for years and years and years. And I'm, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because it didn't get covered in the, in the Vice episode. But there was a moment when 
as the North Koreans were touring us around Pyongyang and seeing all the sights and paying homage to the dear leader and all the things they wanted us to do for uh, publicity reasons, yeah. propaganda reasons, I should say, uh, they took us to what is basically a replica of the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, right? And they told us this history of this monument that was built to honor the 50,000 dead North Koreans who perished at the hands of American bombers. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is true, if a little bit of it is true, not true, whatever. But during that conversation, the person who was taking us on this tour and telling us about this monument proceeded to tell us that the North Koreans defeated the Japanese in World War II. The North Korea, the military leaders in North Korea don't know anything about World War II. They only know the North Korean version of it. They're taught from a very young age. Now, I'm 60 years old, 66 years old. And the military leaders that are over there right now in North Korea, are a majority of them are younger than I am. And they know even less about what really happened in World War II. So now you've got a country with nuclear warheads who have no idea what history really was because they've been taught a fabricated version of that. And the same thing is happening in this country. So it's if you want to know what North Korea is like, just kind of look around you because we're getting there. Did you, like ahead of time, did you all get like a bit of a primer? Like did, were they saying don't spew your propaganda here or anything like that or don't try to change the minds of anybody? No, there was no, there was no prep by anybody. I wondered if they were just like, hope it doesn't come up. That's how it'll work. You mean North uh, Koreans? Yeah, I was the people that that were bringing you over specifically. I had wondered if they were like just hoping that the subject of hey, that's not how that happened. No, even you, came no, up. You, you know what? No, because we knew. Look, look when when we got off the plane, the first thing they did was take your passports. Oh yeah. So the message was clearly sent that they are in control, and you got that message a lot mm-hmm. loud and clear the minute we got off the airplane, and then shortly after we got off the plane. And we got segregated into cars, you know, two people to a car. We had uh, handlers who essentially gave us the rules of the road. And I was told specifically that I had a, my handler was a female, North Korean, their version of Secret Service, I sure. guess. And she turned around and looked at me and she said, no, whatever you do, don't rape our women. Oh, my. Sonny Ono was sitting next to me, and I looked at Sonny, and I'm thinking, did she just? She goes, you, yes. Do she was very nice you. about it. She's, matter of fact, <laughs> you cannot rape our women. And I'm telling well, okay, yeah. here, let me make a note of that. You know, <laughs> So you, you got the impression right away. That if, if only you had phones back then, you could have a reminder constantly, like, yeah. please don't do that. No, but you knew right off the bat that they were in total control. And yeah. The message was loud and clear. Two Cold Scorpio versus Hawk, straight up, no, no substances involved. Who would win that fight? I don't know, man. That's silly shit. Oh, man. You know, I heard Scorp, and I I don't know Scorp real well. Um, I didn't know Hawk real well. I knew fairly well. I I wouldn't want to call that one. Hey, man. (laughs) I wouldn't have wanted to call that one. Man, that one would have been. I mean, two very tough dudes. I'll, I'll say, based on what I saw in Brawl for All, which I don't know if... Did you watch Brawl for All as it happened? No. Because I wondered, because, I mean, you were a competitive fighter. You you know what good technique is and what bad technique mm-hmm. is. There's a lot of bad technique there. 
Like the, the the best technique I think I saw was from The Godfather. Like he he would keep his elbows in, like he would throw punches like a fighter would. And there were people that like obviously Dan Severn like one round in he's like this isn't worth my time and Blackman was like this isn't worth my time. And then by the end it was throwing from the hip and all that. And I was shocked as a kid cuz even I had heard like Hawks this bad dude and I don't know if it's cuz he was in a bad place but I was watching all these fighters and I was like I know this isn't how you're supposed to throw a punch and I was like 12. I think you know guys that get reputations that are good street fighters. Mm-hmm. Um those are 15 second fights. Yeah. 30 second fights in a bar. You know, surrounded by a lot of people or out in a parking lot. And if know? Hawk wraps you up and dumps you on your head, that's that's it, it. There's a difference between a 15 or a 30 second fight. Yeah. You know, where people are pulling you apart. And a two-minute round or three-minute round, and that's where you can see the difference in techniques and who has it and who doesn't have it. Were, was there anybody that, that you've seen within wrestling, like outside of the Ernest the Cat Millers, who are like man so well traveled and and have these accolades that you looked at and you're like, oh, their technique that's that's pretty good. Didn't necessarily expect that or or so, anything of that nature. You know, I think Rick Rude, you really? know, was was legitimate. You know, he was a he, he was a a legitimate boxer. Had had legitimate boxing skills, but beyond that, now not that others didn't have it, yeah. But you don't see it in the in, in the context of a wrestling match. They're two different things. There are so many people like that wrestled in the '90s, like Craig the Pitbull Pittman. Like he had a couple MMA fights, and obviously Jerry Flynn. Well, he came. was a great amateur wrestler. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. And there there are some more like Ludwig Borga who did terribly. Like he got lit up by Randy Couture, as most people would. Within, like, 15 seconds. So, obviously, I mean, there are some people that, that carry that and some people that don't. And when when you were – you had left, I know, the competitive days behind, but you had sort of transitioned in with, with the game that you talk about you and Sonny Ono mm-hmm. uh, selling, which I thought that was – that's probably my favorite episode of your podcast because I didn't know anything about the AWA, didn't know anything about the game. Like what was that a bit of a transition? Like, did, was there anything that you took from competitive fighting days and that you saw in WCW, and you're like, maybe you can implement a little bit of that into this? Not at all. Really? No, it's it's two different things, man. It, one's a storytelling art form, and the other one was combat. Yeah. And I know you know people draw parallels a lot between MMA and professional sure. wrestling, and I and I don't get that at all. Um. It's silliness. I think the only commonality is, you know, there's a ring of sorts. Yeah. Uh, but that's about the beginning and end of it. And, uh, I mean, there were there were rumors that WWF wanted to do something like that in the 90s, like the World Karate Federation that. or something like that. Was that something you had gotten wind of at the time, or is that something you had heard since, like, from the Conrad shows? Uh, no, it's something I had heard, you know, at the time. And it was an interesting idea to me. I've known people that have tried that for a long time. When I was active in martial arts in the late 70s, uh, the group that I was training with and was an instructor with eventually, um, they worked with CBS Sports. Uh, they worked with ABC Sports. were involved with a couple fights on Wide World of Sports and things like that. So people, Joe Corley, the P- Professional Karate Association out of Atlanta, Georgia, had made great inroads into you know getting television back in the, the late 70s. But they could never get themselves organized. You know, everybody was fighting over, fighting over money and prestige, and nobody really uh, cooperated enough to to pull it off. But I had heard about it, was interested in it. 
So as we wrap up, obviously 83 weeks, Conrad Thompson. He's got an empire. He's got an empire. He even took time out of his busy schedule to submit that uh, that, that liver sausage question too. <laughs> How have things changed for you? How have, have you noticed that perception has maybe even changed now that people get to hear your side of things oh, after so long? No doubt, it's completely different. You know, because for for a long time, you know, the peripheral media media as I refer to them, not me, not 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 Sean. I, I've, I've never, ever included you in that category. You say nice things about me. I really well, appreciate because it. because you do a good job. Thank you. And there's a difference, though, because you, you give your opinion. Mm-hmm. You talk about, you know, your perspective and, and, and all that, which is entertaining. I enjoy listening to it, and, and I check it out often. But there's a fine line between, you know, stating your opinion and stating your opinion as a fact. Like like what MJF did earlier, <laughs> like him. Like is he's the is he the peripheral media? You no, know he's what? Not. If it wouldn't shock me to see like Web is MJF or something like that, where he's running his own propaganda wrestling news site. Yeah, I'm sure. Won't we'll, we'll know the difference between your and your, but he'll have his own website. <laughs> but I yeah. Now that you know, because of podcasts mm-hmm. and you know. People like me have platforms, and we can give our side of the story. Bruce Pritchard can get his side of the story, and Arn and Jr. and Tony and so many people. And, and even outside the, the Conrad Thompson podcast empire, people now have the ability to go, ah, I'm calling bullshit on that, and, and, and give their perspective. And I think it's a healthy thing. And I, as a result of that, I think people have a different perspective on at least – my side of the story and they can do with it what they want they can believe it not believe it whatever but at least you know it's out there now and it's a good show i mean i listen to it weekly um i specifically love hearing about how you sort of wade through the waters of sponsorships and and managing that as it relates to pay-per-views and shows and all that there are so many aspects of the business that i think a lot of people didn't realize oh yeah eric did that and he would have done this and he would have done that is there any of that that you miss at all, or are you like, man, that's in my rear view? There are certain aspects of the business that I do miss. You know, I, I love I love working with younger talent. I love teaching people how to do good promos yeah. and communicate um, and, and, and find their characters. That part of it I, I do miss. I do not miss the travel. Yeah. You know, I don't miss the talent-related issues, you know, managing talent is tough. Um, nobody's ever 100% happy, and, and nor should they be. You know, everybody's striving to become the next best version of themselves. So it's, you get about 100 of those people in a room, and it can be kind of tiresome. Yeah. So I don't miss that part. So, I mean, as we're filming this, this is like one of the first events with fans. We're filming this Double or Nothing weekend, Jacksonville. That probably means you're about to start traveling with Conrad more. I would imagine... You know, we've talked about that. I think we're going to do some live shows, but both of us have gotten fairly busy, you know, and it's just hard, especially for I me. don't think Conrad's that busy. Yeah. I don't think he's <laughs> no. that busy. Really. No, he's just running this little mortgage <laughs> just, company just, over here. And, yeah. You know, he's got this, you know, uh, 47 podcast. podcast. Is it 42 now? I it's thought it was 37 like, when I left like Cody. That. It'll probably be 42 by the time I get yeah. home. But, uh, you know, we'll do some some shows, but... I'd like to stay home as much as possible. Another thing I've always wondered, you, you've often mentioned Nitro Thunder and how Bret Hart came in, and there was a part of expanding things, so to speak. 
were there ideas for like a specific brand split or was it like thematic shows? Was it going to be, I know you had mentioned WCW uh, Thunder and NWO Nitro. Mm -hmm. Was it going to be like a modern day brand split or was it just, well, we wanted to have this wealth of talent that way those shows wouldn't be redundant? No, it was going to be a formal brand split. There would have been a moment, an event, something would have happened and... WCW would have been designated as a, because at that point it would have been clear that the NWO and WCW guys could not play well together sure. under any circumstances. To, so to resolve that issue, WCW was going to get their show, Nitro was going to get, or NWO was going to get their show, and then we would have occasional crossovers. So we would sometimes see, like, on WCW Saturday night, you'd see six kicking the shit out of somebody while Nick Patrick with a mask on was. Was no, you wouldn't see that on WCW Saturday Night. Well, you would see it. That would okay. have been a completely different roster. Uh, okay, no, I meant like we did see that a couple of times. Oh, you did see it. Yeah, that. we did see that a couple of times. But, so that would have been more in line with what NWO Nitro would have been compared to what we would. Would it have been like different presentations, different production styles? They would have looked and felt differently. You know, WCW would have been a more traditional wrestling show because the WCW audience, the core audience, was a more traditional wrestling audience. They were NWA, you know, they they were Georgia Championship Wrestling, they were Florida Championship Wrestling, you know, back before cable television. A lot of that um, heritage was still a part of the WCW audience. So that show, the WCW show, would have had a more traditional feel to it. NWO would have been a more edgy, kind of black and white and grainy. I'm just so fascinated by that because it's like that it happened, but it happened years later, categorically different with the WWE brand split because they acquired that ECW and WCW talent. So to see, and I mean, I, I remember like playing the video games and I would flip to that roster and I'm like, my gosh, this WCW roster is huge. Like, and I even thought then, I was like, my gosh, they could do a completely different roster with just half these guys. So to hear in the years that followed like that was the plan that's what was going to happen do you do you remember what specific moment happened when you were like that's not going to happen sure you know it would have been it's hard for me to pinpoint the date but it would have been somewhere it was in the summer 97 maybe 98 when the AOL Time Warner thing was all going down. Once they start, started moving budgets around, once they started cutting my budgets and telling me what I could and couldn't do, after I had been given the responsibility of launching an entirely new show, I had to, I had to pay for it myself. You know, TBS didn't want to pay for Thunder. Um, so in addition to having to pay for that show, they were also cutting my budget simultaneously. At that point, I knew that we weren't going to be able to do any of the things that we had originally planned to do. You guys can hear more great stories like this on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, thank you so much. This is the first time. Thank you, man. First time I met you. Hopefully the not the last time I interviewed you. I'm hoping I don't become a part of the peripheral media. No, you're doing a great job. Guys, until next time, we're out. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.